Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Martin Sibley Show. Today I'm going to be interviewing Simon Minty, who is the other half of Minty and Friend. You may remember I interviewed Phil Friend back in early on in the series of the Martin Sibley Show. And basically the two of them revolutionised the whole concept of disabled entrepreneurialism and how inclusion and accessibility is a business opportunity, not just for disabled entrepreneurs, but more so for other mainstream, global, multinational businesses. So a bit rambly, it will all make sense in the interview. And the other thing is Simon is just a really, really nice guy and a really funny guy as well. I think he um, definitely could break out into the world of comedy and he already has done. So check out his other work in the comedy arena. And um, also on the BBC Out podcast, you may have heard him a few times on there. So um, I do enjoy our chat and we'll see you soon. So today's podcast episode, we're joined by Simon Minty, dialing in from North London, I believe, Simon. That's correct. Thank you. How's the weather there today? Uh, I can look out of my window because my office is right by, and it's grey, but it's fine. It's bright. A typical late November British day, really. Yeah, probably. I haven't been out yet, so we'll see. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for joining the podcast. Really excited to have you on. Um, lots of things to explore, really. I mean, I think, you know, there's definitely stuff we, we're going to touch upon around the consultancy that you do and obviously the, the need that businesses have to understand more about equality and inclusion and, and that world. But also you, you do lots in the, the media side of life as well with podcasts and, and writing and all sorts. So yeah, it'd be great to, to touch on that too. But we'll just kick off. It'd be great to hear a bit, a bit about you, you know, a bit of backstory to who is Simon Minty? Um, good question. I shouldn't know <laughs> myself quite well. Uh, I, I've got a big birthday next year. I'm going to turn 50. And wow. it's very present in my, uh, my mind. I always sort of feel I had two lives up until the, about the age of 25. I didn't really identify as a disabled person. I'm short, by the way, so I'm three foot ten and I have mobility issues and so on. Uh, use a scooter. So I worked for a bank. Uh, I went to a mainstream school and people used to come in and collect their currency. And I used to ask where they were going and people used to say, I'm going traveling around the world. And I used to get so envious. And so I asked the bank, they had a sabbatical scheme. And I asked if I could take a year off. And they said no three times. So the fourth time I asked, because I was quite persistent, I said, because you keep saying no, that suggests to me you have great plans for my career. Shall I come up to head office and discuss the future? <laughs> and then they said, you can have your year off. <laughs> Which is, and they sort of a double bluff, so I kind of won. Anyway. It's a win-win, right? Whatever happened. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and it was lovely because it meant that I could explore these things and travel that I wanted to do. But I had the safety net of a job to go back to in a year's time. Um, and I was doing very well at the bank. It was a good, solid job. It, and there were moments I loved and I loved the people, but I knew it wasn't quite right for me forever. Cut the long story short, I went traveling and almost like a cliche, I started to explore things. Mm-hmm. When I was out of my safety zone or comfort zone, meeting different people and how they reacted to me and how I reacted to them all around the world. So it just really confirmed my love for travel. And then it made me decide, I went back to university, studied philosophy. And while I was studying, I started exploring disability and get more and more involved in writing articles for then Disability Now. Um, met with a friend, we set up a business. Then I started out normally funny people, which was 
comedy around disability and that's about it but I do have done bits along the way yeah that's a, a good a good summary of Simon Minty there thank you um, I love the story in the bank by the way that's, that's such a, a good way of forcing someone's hand right it was but it, I mean, it was genuine as well I thought why can't they let me go I've got to roll the dice and take a risk um, I mean, with hindsight, if I'd been really brave, I would have taken redundancy and they would have paid me off and that was it. But at that point, it was terrifying to kind of yeah. give up a good job. Um, interestingly, after a year, I had, we had conversations and I went to meet them and they said, we can give you a bank manager role. And I said, I don't want a bank manager role. And already by then I knew it. I said, can I work in diversity or I think it was called equal ops then. Mm -hmm. And they said, no. Uh, it is specialised, you haven't got experience. The bit was joyous, uh, 10 years later I was hosting something called Dining with a Difference, which is a, an event we do for senior business leaders. And I was hosting it with the board of Barclays. And I said to them, you crazy guys, you could have had me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, instead, you're now paying me to come and talk to you at dinner. I mean, it was, it was like, full, and sometimes I have told people when you're looking at your career, sometimes it's good to go out of it do something else and then come back in. Yeah. You can't get straight up, but can work, and it did for me. Yeah, the sort of, the path isn't always linear, but it, you get to that goal in the end. Yeah, I like that. So I mean, if we focus on the business area to start with, so obviously you mentioned setting up the consultancy with Phil. Phil's been on, on the show and so, you know, shared some of what went on from, from his perspective. But I mean, like, was it that, because obviously you were, you were summarizing um, a few years there of what went on, but like, did did you just literally know that that's what you wanted to do and met Phil and boom, it all happened? Or was there a bit of exploring and debating going on for a year or two there? Uh, thinking back, I remember I had two managers. One of them, I remember, asked me to go on a disability course uh, for the bank and I was, I challenged them and said, why are you asking me? Mm -hmm. so that was when, but another manager said to me, I've been to another branch of Barclays, that's where I worked, and I came across this business that advises businesses about disability, and that was Phil's. Mm -hmm. And I had a look into it, and I'll be honest with you, there was two things going on. One was, wow, this is really interesting, I've never thought of this. And the second bit was, this is a really strong, healthy business. There's yeah. a, a living to be made here. Um, so I think what I contacted Phil, he doesn't remember, um, <laughs> But he then read an article I had written about traveling and then he contacted me. Oh, wow. So we, I would think for a better word, flirted with each other. So I was freelance for him and did some stuff for a while. And then he was approached to buy a big company to buy his company. Mm -hmm. And he said, will you come with me? And I went for the meetings and I said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be part of a big corporate. I've done that. Mm. Uh, and my brother-in-law said, why don't you buy Phil out? So, so this is getting quite a lot of detail. So we were driving back from somewhere and I said to Phil, I don't want to join you if you get bought out, but what if I buy you? Interesting. And we then said, why don't we do it together as a partnership? Yeah. He'd been doing it a long time and it had a very successful business. What he was struggling with was keeping hold of it. Mm. Phil is a showman. He likes to be out there and so has a million ideas, but developing them as well. The two of us combined very strongly and the business kind of grew 10 times. Wow. Uh, it, was a, it was the perfect time because the law was coming in, what was then the DDA, companies were crying out for knowledge. 
and we had this sort of blend. I'd worked for a bank, I understood business, but I also got disability. So yeah, that was good. nice how the, the dots joined, as you say, in the end. There, it's really cool. And interestingly, he is my age. I'm his age now, so I can see it's that change. You want to look at something differently. He didn't want to keep working that hard. Yeah, it changed it. Yeah, that's right. And I guess also there's a lot around that kind of what's about work-life balance, but certainly within work, at least doing the things that you enjoy, because I think when you have a passion and you enjoy it all, you're far more productive and efficient. And then when you're doing something a bit kind of begrudgingly almost because it's what has to be done, but you don't particularly like it in the long run, that will, that will show on a business level as well. And I say to people, even the best job in the world, I still think 10, 20% of it, you don't want to do. They yeah. just, it comes with the territory. It can't always be wonderful. Phil and I found that after a week on a Friday evening, we would sit and start debating the big disability issues. The one that we always quote was me saying, this isn't a big disability issue. I've led that up to be something else. <laughs> However, I would say to him, if I want to get a made-to-measure suit as a short person, uh... they charge me more. Yeah. Now the law says they shouldn't, and also the definition is made to measure. Yeah. So, and, and anyway, I remember spending hours debating this, and that was the bit that I really liked. We were trying to explore where all of this fitted in, mm. uh, and that's now what we ended up doing with our podcast, just sitting there talking about stuff. But yeah, I, always, I was very lucky because I was doing something I believed in, which was getting things better for disabled people. Yeah. That selfishly improves my life. And people paid me for it. I mean, it was perfect. Well, before we leave the business stuff and we'll explore the sort of disabled community and some of the media and the podcast things, I mean, one other question was just with the businesses. What, what kind of things were you doing on a, on a day-to-day level for them? Like, you know, sort of, I know it was consultancy and it was helping them to be more accessible, but what, what did that look like in a more tangible way? Uh, I would say 75% of the stuff we did was around employment and mm-hmm. 25% was the customer experience accessibility. It was very much about people in work and how do we understand what the concept of reasonable adjustments is, how can we put this into place. These were early days, I sound like a really old bloke, but it was, you know, I remember setting up the first staff networks for lawyers, they didn't do this. Mm-hmm. And I uh, wrote a development program, a personal development program for staff with a disability. Uh, Phil's idea around reasonable adjustments, basically making this easier for both the individual and the manager, mm-hmm. was a, a revolutionary. And when we implemented it, our business just went through the roof because people were... So there was a lot of training, but we had maybe 30, 35 staff, salaried wow. staff, yeah. and we had 15 freelancers. Um, I used to work sort of seven till seven. I'd come home up a bit of dinner and then I'd do another two hours and I'd work all day Saturday. Sunday off. Um, and I did that with Phil for about 10 years. But I mean, I'd call him at midnight and we'd have to be discussing things because that's what we did. You, yeah. And people go, oh, you've got so much um, drive and so on. And I said, no, I was responding. Mm. People were coming to us and you, we were very lucky that we had to just respond to keep it going. Yeah. In hindsight, we grew too quickly. It was yeah. very hard to get the right caliber of staff and make sure that they were happy. So there were definitely mistakes we made along the way. Yeah, yeah but hindsight's a lovely thing, isn't it? You know, you can look back and see what, where it all went right and where other bits that could have been tweaked. But as you say, when you're in the, 
in the quagmire just dealing with the, the things coming in. I guess you have to just get your head down and crack on with it. It's been amazing because Phil and I are very different people. People don't realise that, but we are very different politically and personal experience and life and all those things. But now we don't run a business together at all. And I just now enjoy his company as a friend. And it's, I feel very privileged for that because we can make each other laugh and that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's the main thing. So let's move on to the podcast. So um, it is nice to hear that you almost had those late night debates about the world and the universe and then you've been able to turn that into a podcast for others to to enjoy your musings and hilarity together <laughs> enjoy might be stretching it <laughs> so how did that come about um i should qualify i do too i do the bbc ouch one yeah which i think is a very sort of mainstreamy one and sometimes i get a bit frustrated because we're very impairment based rather than issue based but that's where it is, and it's run by BBC News, and I do enjoy it, and I also know internationally it's got a good following. Mm -hmm. The Phil one is, the Phil and Simon show, it allows us a little bit more freedom in the sense of we can get into those really deep disability issues that are incredibly niche, and you've got to either have a real love for this or something to kind of listen and follow it. Um, and also we're very flippant. I mean, I will tease Phil no end, and if I can make a joke, that's what I do. Uh, we've done about a year and a half of them. It's very hard to get stats. Uh, yeah. We get emails and we get tweets and people like it. There is life out there. Exactly. It's <laughs> quite a select group. We've had one guest, Angela Matthews, and we're going to get future guests on, which is, I think, needs to broaden it out a little bit, because otherwise it'll be me and Phil just talking about doing the gardening or something. So, <laughs> I, I like the idea of us having guests as well, just to broaden it. Cool. And so like um, when you're trying to think of what, I mean, obviously I'm, we are on a podcast now, I'm, I've been running a podcast, so I know some of the stuff that goes into it, but do you have a, a sort of template of what you're going to cover each episode or is it a lot more shoot from the hip and free flow? Uh, we have a pre-production meeting. Um, that's from my BBC experience. I do push Phil to try and do it as professionally as we can. I think between each each recording, which is about a month, one or two things will happen. We'll come across something that's interesting, you make a note of it. So we have our couple of big issues that we discuss. Um, I think one of the ones we did was, you know, is anxiety as a condition becoming fashionable? Now, you know, that's pretty edgy just as a title, let alone what we were talking about. Yeah. And I'm talking about this, I'm worried about where we're going with disability and that there's a sort of chasm and there's people with non-visible and they're reluctant to identify. And then there's people who have physical and it's obvious and they will identify. And I feel there's a little bit of regression. People are almost adding to the stigma and I want a bit of joy. Now that's quite specialized. So we have our two or three big subjects and then we always do a little news roundup at the end. There's little bits and bobs. And sadly, you know, there's bits, people who are very important to disability that the world might not know, but they might have died. So we'll have a little kind of obituary and talk mm -hmm. to them about them so yeah it's just got a few few different features going on within within each episode really interesting that point you just brought up about the identity of disability because i know like when i was growing up it was almost like i was sat in a wheelchair and i needed help with everything so it was pretty evident that i was <laughs> disabled but yet i had this sort of mindset that i wasn't and i think that's partly what propelled me to sort of go to uni and to go traveling and 
this sort of trying to fit in and be normal. But then at some point you start to realise that that isn't totally healthy. Like a little bit of that is good to want to be included and, and to get out and contribute to society. But also it's part of who we are. And I think a lot of the guests I've had have you know, said those sentiments as well, that they had this sort of period of time where they kind of came to terms that, oh, wow, I am actually disabled. And then started to embrace the community and trying to help that on a bigger level. I mean, does, does that sound ring true from your experience as well? Absolutely. And my point, the manager who suggested going on a course and me traveling around the world and suddenly really recognizing this, up until 25, I would say it's not an issue, so don't make it an issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I still have bits of that because, you know, when I go out with my friends from university or wherever, uh, friends from school or wherever they might be, I don't sit there talking about disability from the moment I see them to the moment we leave. Um, mm -hmm. It was a nice moment recently. I was having a drink with an uh, old university friend and another friend said, I'm going to be in King's Cross in half an hour. Why don't we all meet? And both me and my friend were like, oh, we're in North London. We don't want to go there. And I said, just put that I can't because I'm disabled. <laughs> and he roared with laughter. The disabled I, card. <laughs> and I tell people, and they laugh. And they go, well, hang on, but I am. Like, <laughs> the idea of using that as an excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I had to text my other friends who were told. And I said, I was joking. Don't. But she's like, I'm coming to you. I'm feeling terrible. Anyhow, what's the project? Yes, but I can understand the fear and the nervousness of identifying. I get that because I was there. And I don't think you've got to jump into it and suddenly wear a t-shirt and campaign and black all uh, cages. But I think if you can acknowledge something, your life will become a bit easier. Mm. Because maybe you start taking control rather than constantly trying to compensate for it. And you kind of like yourself a bit more. I, don't, I wouldn't have said that I disliked myself before when I was sort of trying not to identify as disabled but you are kind of cutting off a part of who you are so there is there is an element of, of a dislike or an ignoring so I think yeah you, you become more comfortable in yourself definitely. I think what's really interesting for people such as myself is when it comes to dating and relationships mm -hmm. and for a long long time you know mid-20s the idea of me dating someone who was short as well I found other short people attractive that wasn't the issue it was more the double whammy of going out and getting double attention and the idea that people were looking to go, oh, of course, and isn't it lovely they found each other? Oh, it drives me mad now. However, I am seeing someone who is short and the joy that I get from that and all the benefits and the bonuses made me kind of go, I can't believe I was being, is it cutting your nose off despite your face or just resisting something and actually denying a, a, a potential happiness. So maybe this whole social model with the barriers that are absolutely still there and need to be pulled down had some kind of, I don't know, strayed into that we just cared too much what society thought. And there needs to be that separation that you need to be included, but not care what people think about your choices and your way of life as well. But I'm sure lots of other people aren't just saying have those sort of things about the part that they choose. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Just let something else. Human nature. Yeah, um, and you're right. I do think there's an issue for people, say, with a chronic illness, that actually the real significance is getting out of bed and being able to survive a day because of the complexity of it. Mm. But there's also the flip side of 
well, there's people in wheelchairs who have that same issue, and there's people who, it's about you get outside your door. Can you then have a relationship? Can you go to work? Can you get on the bus? All of those things. Yeah. It's a tough one, because I'm, I'm, I'm nervous of us losing some of the joy and the confidence of being the people we are. And there's a generation who, are, I think, they're trying to work out what the next, the next way is. And I'm, I'm interested, I'm fascinated, I want to help, but I think they've got to lead it. Well, like when you look at the next generation, what do you observe as going on? Have you seen any trends that have, have been noticeable? Um, it's, this is so generalising, it's, it's of course, yeah. being hopeless. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, one person might have said something, so I apply it to everybody. <laughs> I, I think there is a resistance about the word disability. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen some what I would call full-on disabled people even put on Twitter. Should we debate whether we get rid of the word disability? Yeah. Uh, and I remember that happening in the 1780s. We got rid of the word handicap to move to disability, maybe move to anyone. But for me, you can call it what you want. It's the stigma that comes with it. That's mm. the issue. Yeah. I, I think there's a generalised where people go, look, we're all part of a continuum. And this sort of boxing and putting us in a disability camp or some other camp, this is problematic. This is not me saying that. So we're all part of it. And we all might need a bit of adjustment. And you know, whether you've got a disability or not, you still might need a different chair. And, all of that stuff, and I get it, and I think it's powerful, and I think there's something lovely because that's us being part of society. My worry by doing that too much, though, is we actually forget some of the specific issues that are unique to the same people, and we'll go back to the bit of, well, you know, you're part of society, just get on with it, mm. and we should get on with it, and that's back to your bit of, you've got to make effort, you've mm. got to be involved, you've got to put yourself out there, you've got to take chances, but at the same time, those attitudes and those barriers, we've got to kind of push them down. Yeah, that's really interesting. When you look at the whole, um, well, we were talking before we started recording about the purple pound and you were saying that you tend not to use that as the phraseology because it already is giving that separation to having a bit of money that is as valuable to the next person. But essentially the point is about the spending power of disabled people and also the political, potential political power of disabled people but we don't tend to as you say come together on these common issues and use that sort of bargaining power that we could do and it's but whenever I've tried on horizons to bring different groups together it's bloody difficult because <laughs> they they end up having a barney about the, the wording or whatever it might be well and there's two bits I mean, the maturity of a movement and the social movement there's two things one we stop shooting each other. So you stop having to pop at each other because that's much easier to do yeah. is to actually address what the bigger issue is out there. Yeah. So I'm always conscious of that, but I don't want to be overtly critical of people who have a different point of view because ultimately we're actually all pushing in the same direction. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I do use the sort of the financial, the business argument um, because I think it has some validity and it will make Marks and Spencer's look up and say, oh wow, they've got money. But and the legal one, we seem to forget that we've got legal rights. People yeah. go, well, if you mention it, it's, you know, it's career suicide. And I'm thinking, well, but, but you do have some protection. But what I do come back to, and maybe this is an age thing, is this moral argument about people everyone being included. And I think that's to have a society where you deliberately exclude somebody because of laziness or whatever, that really bugs me. And I think that's really hard to argue with. You could argue with the financial and legal because there's different nuances. But to say... I don't like disabled people, I don't want them to be in my, 
had a parameter all of my life. Mm. You can argue with that. It's just wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I get the impression, you know, from when we spoke that humour is something that you use to, to disarm. I say disarm people, but I, I mean it more in the broader sense of, uh, you know, the barriers and the sort of um, you know, segregation that goes on being disabled. I think you use humour as a good tool. And I, I think personally, that's something I've found to be useful. Do you want to elaborate on that a bit? Or do you agree with me, first of all? But do you want to elaborate on that? I can't help but be humorous. When I worked for the bank, they trained me to be a trainer. So you learn how to do training calls. So when I was delivering, I used to write jokes in there because I liked it. But then when I'm doing the delivery, I would add lib jokes as well. And the feedback I got, I failed it first time because they said, you spend all your time trying to make us laugh. <laughs> We're not learning anything. Uh, and it was a real learning bit for me. I was like, uh oh, so take it down a notch. Don't. I helped start Abnormally Funny People with a friend from school. This is a team of comedians, all disabled except for our token, not disabled one. Them. <laughs> you got to give them a chance. Um, yeah, I, really, I can watch one of my stand ups when I say my, one of our team. They could do 20 minutes stand up. Lawrence Clark is a great example. He will cut through what, if I did a three hour speech, he does more in 20 minutes mm. with really well placed jokes because you laugh and then you see the irony uh, or you see the contradiction or the hypocrisy or whatever it might be. Yeah. So yeah, I do think it's very powerful. Like what I've learned though is I need to moderate it because I will do it all the time and you sort of, there's a double whammy, being a short person as Family Guy says, and I, I hate it, but I believe it is, we are objects of ridicule. We're objects of humor. People, there's something strange about us that makes people laugh sometimes. Mm. And that's incredibly heartbreaking when I'm in the street and a 14 year old child does yeah, it. Upset me. But the flip side of it is I need to balance that. So I want to be seen as credible and serious, but I don't want to lose my humor because it's so intrinsic. And people say, oh, do you think it's because you're short? I don't think it is. I, I think back to dinner with my family, We'd have tea, and it—it's banter. It's—it's it's people trying to be funny. And my mum, yeah. my sister, family—that's what we did. So I just think that having an environment where humour was really important. Yeah, there's definitely a difference as well between you know people laughing because someone is shorter and laughing because someone is really humorous. There's definitely that that difference. I get—I totally get your point about that sort of potential uh, connection. But I, I think in the end, you know, the, the humour can be used to break down barriers because of its intellectual um, uh, capabilities in a way. Yeah, and that does come out of my mouth without trying to. <laughs> so that's my point of just moderating it. So I yeah. get the right balance, hopefully. But abnormally funny people is one of the joyous things I've done. I, and I get an email every two months from someone with a disability that says, I want to start doing stand-up, how do I do it? And whilst I don't sort of train people, I always have a phone call, we have a chat, and tell them our experiences. And I love that we do that. I, yeah. And I also love that there's a, 10 years ago when we did Abnormally Funny People, we were the ones. There was a few others, but we were the ones. 10 years later, there's hundreds of comedians with disabilities. It's everywhere. It annoys me because they get the work, but <laughs> I'm pleased they exist. Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of, that the ripple effect is, is beautiful, that you can sort of look on at what you've helped bring about that change but then yeah sometimes you're like hang on <laughs> you up starts <laughs> but it's fine I mean, yeah. I mean that's the point of the progression and i was an upstart you know 15 20 years ago so yeah. 
yeah. circle of life and all that. <laughs> so what, what's the, um, the future holding? Have you got any big plans in store? Or are you more just sort of, you know, taking life as it comes to you now? Um, I work part-time now, sort of two or three days a week. Uh, I find that I'm, I've, I've taken on, I sit on a board of Stopgap, which is a dance, an integrated dance group. Um, I've normally funny people is a hobby more than a, a business. Um, I do little bits of training. I had the joyous contradiction of one minute I'm in the Midlands with a company who adapt vans for wheelchair users. And then a week later I was in Silicon Valley doing an event for Google. And that confuses me. I'm like, goodness me, I'm this, uh, but fabulous as well, because I'm speaking to a wide range of people. Uh, I do the big set. I'm not really answering this. I'm kind of carrying on. It's an okay balance, and so long as I still get asked to do interesting things from time to time, I'll be okay. Yeah. There's other times I think, do I step away now? And I think the next generation of disabled people, am I out of date? Am I peddling a message that needs to move on? And should I step back? Um, and I have moments of that because I don't, you know, you don't want to be seen as out of touch mm. what is nice is i sort of informally mentor two or three people and people come to me for advice and i kind of think okay you might not be the big spokesman in front of everybody but people do value what you have to say mm. um, I, matt fraser did hamlet i think matt fraser's an actor disabled actor yeah. and he said he felt like he was the old disabled actor that nobody wanted to work with anymore and then oh, suddenly yeah. hamlet landed and he was so happy on lots of levels and I feel I'm a little bit, when I have my darker moments, I'm like, ooh, should I change? But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like the, the mentoring, it sounds an absolutely amazing way of helping pass on all the experience and things that you, you've been through to, to help the next generation. But I, I think, yeah, there's, a, there's plenty more coming your way in the future as well. I mean, Phil, Phil's going strong. How old's Phil now? I don't know. Is he over 70? Just <laughs> maybe. Are <laughs> we able to say? <laughs> That's a very good point because I look at him and I joined him as a partner when he was my age. Yeah. So, and he then, but he, he has to, he has to work and he has to be involved. It's his personality type. I don't have to. I'm, if you say, let's go traveling and not do anything for a month, I'm up with that. You're happy with that as well. Yeah, uh, I will always be disability rights because it's part of me and I can't shake that. Yeah. But I don't have to be on a platform all the time. Yeah, that's, that's a good way. To, I think also when you have, because I've always been very goal-oriented, sort of having big plans, and that definitely, I'm, I'm 34, so it's sort of, you know, helped me since leaving uni to really just knuckle down and get stuff done. But as we said earlier, often, the journey ends up totally convoluted. It doesn't really go the way you kind of thought it would. Um, and random stuff just pops out of nowhere. So it's kind of nice to have some broad aims, but I think the whole goal setting thing's overrated anyway. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I mean, I, occasionally there's things that I really do want. At the moment, I'm not sure what it is. At yeah. some point, I'll, I'll see something. And I've been very lucky, or as they say, you make your own life. I just put myself out there until something falls into place. What I used to do when we ran the business, every six months, we would go away for two days and we would discuss the business and our plans and what mm -hmm. we'd, we'd write it all down. And then we'd put it in the drawer and not look at it again. And then you go away six months later, you pull it out 
and everything sort of happened. Yeah. And the things that didn't happen, we knew they weren't quite right at the time. So just having that in the back of your mind, the sort of broad structure, but having that flexibility was really yeah. powerful. It's a balance. It, it also helped us because the nature of film is very much, I've got an idea, let's do it. And then you don't really finish the two other ideas that you had. Mm. So this meant we had a little bit of structure and we balanced it. I'm not being critical of it, by the way. It was a, it was a style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was an incredibly powerful style. But I said to him, we can't do a new idea every week because nothing will ever really be seen to fruition. <laughs> this way, we say, look, let's talk about that when we do our six months review. It meant we were always happy. Yeah, that, that's really funny because that, that does sound like me and my <laughs> team in Horizons are like, come on, let's just stick to this one first. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, I, I wake up at three in the morning and I've had, I've had this brilliant idea. <laughs> And they are brilliant. And it's just, you need someone else. I think Phil's like, it was always about rigor and investigating an idea and trying it out and seeing rather than just dropping everything, let's do that. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have a big goal. I think something will land and make me go, okay, that, that's Maybe, maybe Hamlet. <laughs> a comedy Hamlet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Camlet, we could go, go with those like, hybrid words that everyone's using these days. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, no, I'm not even going to do that joke because that's too dodgy. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you for that. I will, I'll have a think. I need to get an agent now, don't I? That's <laughs> cool. Well, now, it's really nice to catch up today. Really interesting hearing all about the, the business stuff and the, the comedy and the, everything else you've been up to. And it'd be great to get you back on again in the future. And I'm sure there'll be lots more. Uh, funny stories to share with the listeners. Well, thanks for having me, Martin. It's been a joy. It's yes, it's an honour to be on, so thanks for asking me. Cool. Take care, mate. See you soon. Bye. Well, another episode finished. Thank you for listening to that. I think, as with all of our guests, it's just that personal story that is so grabbing and inspiring that if someone always has a goal or ambition or a dream they have the challenges on the way and there's times they really probably think about giving up like Simon was saying about the crazy long hours he was doing with Phil but then in the end the, the succeeding and the impact that that has and not just being about your own um, personal materialism and money but the dent that it leaves on the universe is really really important so I think the work that Phil and Simon did is a lot to thank from disabled consumers and disabled employees as well um, and there's a real legacy of the work they've done so big thank you to Simon for being a really good guest as always and as I say check out his other work too on the BBC app podcast and um, his podcast that he also does with Phil Friend that they have a lot of good guests too so as always please do like and share this podcast still trying to get the word out there to more and more people it's been getting traction and picking up a lot more but there's always more people in the world that we can help reach and I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you and bye bye.